Welcome back to the EM Stud Podcast. It is the end of March 2021, which means we recently had another match. But of course, this year's match was unlike any other due to the impact of COVID-19 on everything, including the residency application process for our senior medical students. In a typical year, students would have spent the last nine or so months on EM rotations, both at home institutions if offered and away as visiting students in hospitals outside of their medical school's network. Following that, they would have spent much of November through January traveling around the country, going on interviews, and checking out EM programs in preparation for finalizing their rank list. But this was not a typical year, and travel has been difficult, if not impossible. Schools and hospitals have placed restrictions on when and which students were permitted in the clinical environments. Guidelines on away rotations were drafted to promote more equity in attaining EM learning experiences and letters of evaluation. And of course, interviews this year went virtual. So I imagine we'll have lots to talk about, lots to analyze, and lots to recap as we break down how this year went in future episodes. Uh, But for now, we're going to take a look at how the match went and report on some new consensus guidelines for the upcoming application cycle. And although we don't always get to record together, it sure is a lot of fun when we do. Scott, it's great to see you. How you been doing? Man, it's beautiful. In Texas, it is spring. The blue bonnets are out. The wildflowers are out. It's sunny. It's bright. The birds are chirping. I mean, it's just a a gorgeous day in the 70s here. And like all other people uh, who were born and raised in Texas, I'm waiting any day for my wife to grab me and my kids by the ear to take blue bonnet pictures and drag us out into a field. So it will happen any day now. (laughs) I can feel it. Uh, But it's a beautiful time, man. How about you guys? No, that's that's awesome. Here in Virginia, um, we've had a little bit of a whiplash. I think in the last few weeks we had some snow, then we've had some rain, then it was up into the 80s, and now it's trying to settle back down, but it's going to freeze again this week. I I don't know. Virginia's just confused. (laughs) Well, there's something that's not confusing, and we just got done with a match, so I think room to celebrate. This, This year, was a extremely one of the most nerve-wracking, anxiety-provoking years in the match, both for programs and for students. I mean, it was palpable. We could feel it from both ends because we went virtual. It was crazy. Uh, you know, far more applications were sent out, far more interviews. We're all trying to kind of be safe. And I think we've got some information that this was a pretty successful year. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. You know, it, it's uh, obviously this last year's match cycle was unlike anything we've ever done before. Uh, with a lot of uh, adapting by the applicants and the programs. And uh, to be honest with you, I'm not sure we knew exactly how this was all going to turn out. But uh, looking at the numbers, it looks like it was another successful year for emergency medicine. And um, the few students that I've spoken to, I think uh, most are, are very happy with the results. Yeah, I think all things encountered, this was a success. So uh, today we're going to bring you a little bit of some information about the match. We're going to talk about the 10,000-foot view of what happened for all specialties. We'll cover that, and then we're going to dig into emergency medicine. So uh, I'm reading off of a article that was put out by the NMRP, and so they say the title was Largest Match on Record, Outcomes Flourish Despite Pandemic. And some of their numbers that they quoted were that this year we had 35,194 first-year PGY-1 positions offered, and that was an increase of about almost 1,000, so a 2.7% increase in spots offered from 2020. And we also had a record high 5,915 programs part of the match, so that's almost maybe 100 more, 88 more than in 2020. So we're increasing right now, and this is also in the backdrop of, you know, the transition 
to a single accreditation system for allopathic and osteopathic programs. Also, we had a a large number of USMD seniors, so the number that submitted a rank list was the highest ever, 19,866. So again, almost a 3% increase from 2020. And we also saw that with DO students, record high 7,100. That was an 8% increase over 2020. So a lot of things are increasing here. Also, uh, international medical graduates, IMGs, uh, again, another record year. 5,295. So a lot bigger numbers than what we're seeing in the past, Nate. Yes, absolutely, Scott. And, uh, you know, what's interesting for emergency medicine, too, is that for the last uh, at least five years uh, that I can recall, the number of emergency medicine positions has increased by, you know, around 7% each year. Uh, And we we hit that mark again. I think the number of programs and number of positions uh, continue to go up for this specialty, which is great news for everybody who wants to go into it, of course. Um, but also that means that the number of applicants, uh, you know, respectively for MDs and DOs is also going up, uh, which sort of makes the data a little bit interesting. Now, I have to say that the NRMP uh, has released just some raw data about the match, looking through the specialties here, but we don't yet have their uh, charting outcomes report. We don't expect that for uh, probably another few months, I-, I think, if I recall correctly. So that'll give us a better breakdown as to some of the more specifics related to the emergency medicine match. Uh, But I can tell you from the data that they released, just the raw data overall, emergency medicine this year had a 99.5% fill rate. I mean, that is... That's great. Yeah, yeah, it's it's wonderful. It's incredibly high. It's kind of where we've been. Um, So a a lot of students are successfully matching into emergency medicine, and it's uh, filling, uh, you know, well over 99% of the time. I mean, so again, that sort of goes to our... Uh, previous episodes where we talked about really how soaping into emergency medicine isn't really a, a big thing. Um, and again, this year, that it turned out to, to not be as well, just uh, given the number of positions in soap. Yeah. And, you know, nationwide, it's a lot more difficult to match, as we talked about, not just for emergency medicine, but in general. I mean, according to this NMRP article, the percent of USMD seniors matching to PGY1 positions declined. Last year, it was 93.7. And this year, 92.8. So a little more difficult to match each year. Uh, same thing we saw in trends for DO students, even despite us having a, you know, uh, a, a, a blended one match with DO and MD students, uh, DO students uh, achieving PGY1 positions declined from 90.7 to 89.1. And the biggest hit happened with our uh, international medical graduates, which was really sad. Um, they declined from 61.1% in 2020 to 54.8 in 2021. So more and more difficult to match, especially for our brothers and sisters from uh, around the world. So I guess the take-home point, Nate, is that there's a growing number of applicants uh, and a growing number of programs, but you know the, the equipose has happened. We've got more applicants than we do programs, and that's something that we've seen this trend that started maybe about five, six, seven years ago and is continuing to get more concerning. Uh, the, the overall number they talked about was there were 35,000 uh, first-year PGY1 positions offered, but yet 42,500 applicants, okay? So, I mean, that's like 7,000 people that were applying that just aren't going to have a first-year program, which is a big number, big number. Well, and you know, Scott, for emergency medicine, um, I, I'm a little hesitant to uh, say that uh, this is a significant change. I mean, yes, the trend is uh, somewhat downward, but if you look at the 
percent of, say, MD seniors who match into emergency medicine since 2016. I mean, the the, the ratio of uh, MD seniors who match to um, applicants uh, has remained roughly steady at around 87 to 89 percent. And in this year's match, it did go down to 85 percent, which I think we have to wait and see if that's a trend or if that's even significant. Yeah, it's still pretty good. Pretty good chances of matching. I think, especially if you follow the advice of your, you know, your mentors, your your residency program you're assigned with your student affairs office. You know, experts like like Nate and myself uh, <laughs> stick to those kind of things. And I think if you're doing the right things, then pretty good chance that you can make it through this if you've received uh, adequate guidance and counseling. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, for um, I was just going to say for osteopathic students too. You know, we've only been. Um, able to tease out them separately in the NRMP data for uh, the last year now. So they've only gone from 79 to 77%, um, you know, match success. Uh, so I, again, I, I think it's, uh, I think it remains to be seen. And I should also note that that, uh, as you mentioned, that incorporates an increased number of applicants. So the number of MD seniors increased by about 3% this year, uh, who matched 8% overall. Uh, and the number of DO applicants went up uh, almost 20%. I mean, so we do have more students applying to the specialty, it seems, proportionately to uh, the number of positions. But, uh, you know, again, this is just one year's uh, data. Uh, we're going to have to do a much deeper dive into this in uh, future episodes once we get additional insights from the NRMP. And I think overall, again, I think it was very successful. And I think most students uh, were very successful in the match and uh, hopefully will uh, continue to be. Yeah, I mean, despite not being able to really go in and walk into a building, see somebody in person, tour the facilities, get to know the community, um, I think with all of those anxieties and things, still, gosh, uh, what a successful year. This really could have gone sideways in so many different ways. Um, I think everyone was concerned that they wouldn't match and there would, you know, interviews wouldn't happen well and programs were concerned. And I know everybody was, was increasing their comfort line and their. Uh, their buffer zone as far as number of applicants and number of applications and interviews and such. But I think it really worked out. Yeah. So this is a sign that the system is working, I think. You know, we're seeing some trends. We're seeing some numbers. Uh, again, this is one year, but we're seeing that the system is working. Absolutely. Um, and I can't wait to see uh, what happens uh, this next year. You know, I think if we end up doing virtual interviews again, and I think it's too soon to know for sure if that's going to be the case. But if we end up doing that again, it'll give us another uh, year's worth of data to see, um, you know, how this is really impacting the match. Yeah, and maybe we'll learn from ourselves. Maybe we'll maybe we'll do things a little bit different. Maybe it'd be a hybrid. Who knows what's going to happen in the future? But uh, that's interesting to, to hypothesize. And, you know, Scott, speaking of this upcoming application cycle, this next year's application cycle, um, breaking news here, the 2021 uh, consensus statement for the EM residency application cycle regarding emergency medicine away rotations and letters was just released last Friday. Yeah, I mean, that just uh, passed through our inbox. I was working this weekend with a few of our residency leaders, and uh, yeah, we really wanted to kind of talk about that and, and find out kind of how does this impact us? So what happened, Nate? Well, so I should frame this by saying that this is uh, really um, the next year's statement. It's an update from last year's statement, which, uh, as you recall, recommended, given the restrictions uh, from the pandemic, recommended that every student just do a single EM rotation and get a single slow. And that's what the program should be expecting from all the applicants. So this is a little bit different um, in terms of the recommendations. Uh, I think it's very reasonable. I think it's very fair. And I think it really does offer some reassurance to applicants, especially from orphan schools, who uh, may have a harder time 
getting EM rotations in some of the folks who uh, go to schools associated with an EM residency program. So um, I tell you what, let me just go through the bullet points here. Yeah. And if anybody wants to uh, read the statement for themselves, of course, we'll include a link to it in our show notes. Um, but uh, to boil it down here, basically, what they're saying is that, number one, in accordance with the uh, COPA guidelines released this year, that was released back in January 25th. And what does COPA stand for? What is that? Yeah, so the, the COPA, COPA stands for the Coalition for Physician Accountability, which is a combination of organizations, uh, including the AAMC, who recommended guidelines for students in general. And I should say that this statement here was co-authored by CORD, CDEM, EMRA, um, and all the other folks in emergency medicine, SAM, RSA, RSO. A bunch of organizations got together to put this statement together, which more or less adds to the COPA guidelines referring to what the recommendations are for emergency medicine specifically. So, uh, for example, the COPA guidelines suggested that no away rotations should be done before August 1st. And this consensus statement says that that is um, a reasonable recommendation and goes along with that. So in here, the statement is basically saying that uh, the timelines outlined by COPA should be followed by all institutions who are offering EM rotations. So that means basically no away rotations before August 1st. The caveat to that is maybe students who don't have access to emergency medicine at their home institution uh, maybe they should be allowed an exception to go on away rotations, and, and schools uh, and clerkships should be open to that. So that's sort of bullet point number one. Bullet point number two has to do with the actual slows. And Scott, you know, you and I and, and others have talked on this podcast before about all of these different types of slows. In this particular statement, they're referring to just the e-slows, and that's the, uh, as a reminder, that's the slow that you get related to your performance on uh, an acting internship or an advanced elective or, or some rotation where you're actually in the department and then get a letter of recommendation from the faculty there on, on your performance on that rotation. So here they're talking about those e-slows, those departmental level slows. And what they're saying is that applicants should have a maximum of two. And that's different from last year, but this year a maximum of two. So that means that students may do a home rotation plus an away rotation they don't have a home EM rotation available to them, they may do two aways. Or if you're at an institution where you have uh, basically two homes, if you're at a school that's affiliated with uh, two or more hospitals, uh, you can do basically two homes. But what they're trying to encourage here, I think, is not to do more than two rotations total. Again, those core clerkship type rotations, uh, and thus uh, you should really only have a maximum of two slows in your application. Yeah, and they're talking about maybe... Uh well, not maybe, they, they say we strongly encourage uh, EM leaders to forge partnerships with medical schools in their regions. Uh, so if you don't have an EM residency at your institution, uh, they're not recommending for you to travel across the nation or, or go far. They're recommending for you to kind of stay in that region and try to work with the local partnerships that you guys might have. So that's that's kind of an interesting thing. Last year, uh, it was a similar kind of a thing. They, you know, the next closest geographical uh, program was, I think, the wording. And this year, they say we strongly encourage uh, more of a regional uh, presence. Yeah, yeah, th- that's a big part of this too. Is is trying to look at equity of uh, EM rotation availability here, and and in here explicitly, it says that clerkships uh, and programs should be looking to offer opportunities for students that may not have uh, opportunities to do EM rotations uh, at home. Um, And so they should really be prioritizing those students uh, and helping them out to get a rotation. Um, Another thing that um, 
you know, I thought was interesting in here, another bullet point is that uh, it specifically mentioned that away rotation should not be required or expected this year uh, for students who have access to home rotation. Um, and so I think what that really means is that if you're a student at, say, an allopathic school uh, with access to an EM residency program and you do a rotation there at home, you know, it, it may not be really the expectation then, at least per this consensus guideline, that you do an away rotation at all which is uh, a little bit closer to where we were last year, uh, but I think that's done in part to help save rotations for those uh, students who can't get a home EM rotation, of course, uh, but also just to alleviate some concerns that with everybody starting away rotations after August, that sort of drops out several months where students otherwise would be going on rotations. And so because that timeline is now compressed, the concern is, well, can everybody have time to get an away rotation? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, and so it kind of takes that piece out of there. So if you're a student who has access to a home EM rotation and you only get one slow, that should be okay. We're encouraging the programs to to be okay with that, to just accept one slow. Gotcha. And then what about vaccinations? Are those going to be used kind of to make people eligible? What do they say about that? Well, you know, that's tricky. Uh, I, I can't speak for everywhere, of course. You know, I, I don't know yet if uh, local uh, governments or local institutions are going to have their own rules about this. Um, but in at least in the consensus statement, the, the position is that vaccination status should not be used as a determinant of rotation eligibility. I mean, that's just a whole nother can of worms that I think, um, you know, people would have to would have to uh, grapple with if that were the case. But, you know, of course, if you're applying to go in a way rotation in another state, um, all, you know, local state guidelines would apply. Yeah. And the background is that, you know, you have to get, you know, TB testing, you have to show, you know, some titers for other disease processes as part of your vaccination record to rotate at other institutions as part of the VLSO, uh, you know, application. Of course, each institution varies a little bit, but most of those are pretty standardized. Uh, the reason is that this is not, uh, I think, FDA approved. It is only FDA approved under emergency use is what I'm understanding. And that kind of changes the, the ability of healthcare institutions to you know, require this because it's kind of only on an emergency use. But I don't know. What if we have data by this summer? I mean, I think we've got millions of people that have been vaccinated. You know, I'm, I'm wondering when the FDA is going to say that the various vaccinations that are out there have been proven effective and safe. Uh, I, I wonder if that's going to change this, you know. Well, I mean, that's a big piece, too. And this was a statement that was just released, um, you know, just a few days ago. But of course, uh, dealing with this pandemic is sort of a work in progress, uh, right? So I, I can't say for sure if even the bullet points listed in this consensus statement are going to be applicable uh, several months from now. I mean, things may change. And then um, certainly if there are other statements released or other recommendations released, uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk about it here on this podcast. Yeah. Always bringing stuff hot off of the press. Well, folks, thank you for joining us. I hope that this has been an informative, data-driven, not conjecture, but data-driven report on the match and also the 2021-2022 Emergency Medicine Residency Application Cycle Guidelines. So on behalf of my colleague, ER Dr. Nate, this is your EMED coach, Dr. Scott Weider, signing off for another episode of the EMSTED Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our parent organization, the Society of Academic Emergency Medicine, go to www.saem.org. There you will find the clerkship directors in emergency medicine. If you'd like to learn more about our podcast, please go to www.emstud.com. Folks, it's been great spending this time with you, and until we see you in the emergency department, rotate well, my friend.